Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800 657 4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. I have Greg Roberg from Ag Direct on here to talk about what's going on in the world of ag lending. So Greg, how you doing, man? I'm good, Casey. How are you doing? It's nice to have oh. some kind of a long fall. Yeah, it is. Nice, it's it's nice really weather nice. mid-November. We usually don't get stuff like this. We usually get summer and then winter, and then we're off. Maybe even we get spring for a week, and then it's summer. So it's, it's a change of of. Uh, this is the first time we really had a change of seasons that's noticeable. So it's it's nice. Yeah, it is a treat. Mine's just why we live in Nebraska, right? That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. Well, Greg, we got a lot of stuff going on. Um, it is that time of the year where we're starting to look at uh, end of the year tax planning and what that looks like. And we've got harvest kind of, it's, you know, whatever. It's somewhere mm-hmm. depending on where you're at. Could be half done, could be three quarters done, just depending on where you're at. But I guess, Greg, as you're left there looking right now, what are some of the stuff you're talking to your customers about and what do you see coming your way as far as uh, folks asking questions about end of the year stuff? Yeah, I, you know, in my travels, Casey, it looks like a lot of the corn's out and pretty much all the beans. So when I was a kid in Northeast Nebraska, if we were done by Thanksgiving harvesting, dad was happy. So I think uh, there'd be a lot of happy moms and dads to have things wrapped up here in the next week and a half or so if they're not already wrapped up. Yeah. So, 
so yeah, tax planning. That's really become important, uh, you know, in managing your tax liability. So what we're telling folks is don't wait till that last week or two of December. Go talk to your tax accountant. Go talk to them early December if you can. And and AgDirect has a lot of different options. Whether you're in the market to buy or lease, we can take care of that. But what I wanted to toss out there today to your listeners is, is if you've already bought something and paid cash, maybe put on your line of credit, and now you're thinking, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I don't know what next year is going to bring for commodity prices. I may wish I had that cash back. Wagdrack has a has a solution for you. We can do a purchase lease back, which is a lease, or we can also refinance that. Um, you know, based on what you what you paid for it. We just get an invoice and probably loan roughly ninety percent of what you bought it for. We can do that up to 12 months. So any transaction that you purchased or to check for up to 12 months, we can figure out something for you. We always tell folks, go talk to your tax accountant first, just because of depreciation and and where you're at. They'll know best what decisions to make, but whether it's a, a loan or a lease, uh, AgDirect can, can take care of you. And we actually have a special program right now, Casey, on leases, anything that's a $25,000 or more lease. Uh, the rate is 35 basis points cheaper. And that goes oh, wow. to, the, goes to okay. the end of December. So everyone's looking for a good deal. Rates are higher than what we're used to. Um, so take a look at that Ag Direct lease. We use Farm Credit Leasing um, for our leasing partner, and they're offering 35 basis points off on all leases over 25000 Right on. Well, that, that lease, uh, 35 basis points, is, it doesn't sound like a lot, but in today's interest rate world, every little bit counts. That's a, that's a big deal to your customers. Yeah, so under you know if it's over two hundred thousand, it gets you down to seven one. Yeah, that so, makes a big difference. We start looking at some of the stuff at seven seven five or seven and a half, even eight percent. Sometimes I mean some of the stuff is is good there. So looking at your looking at your rates right now, let's talk a little bit about that that mid tier um, price range stuff that that seventy five to two hundred thousand dollars stuff uh, that you guys have. You're looking at um, no, you take a look at like. Um, like skid steers and you know mm-hmm. loader tractors start looking at um uh balers uh some wind rowers and those kind of things kind of fall into that mix what's what demand are you seeing for that kind of stuff right now stuff comes through loader demand is good yeah it seems like tractor demand is good you know we had a good yeah. run on on used combines i know you're talking about there's a yeah. lot of combines in the country and i think folks mm-hmm. got out there saw in most places bushels were a little more than they thought, so they maybe picked up an extra combine or traded up. So we saw a nice run on combines. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have uh, some good loader residuals. So back to leasing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I really believe leasing is going to come more into play yeah. in 24 and beyond just because of what commodity prices are. Yeah. And uh, I'm not predicting doom and gloom by any means, but I do think we're starting to see a correction in the market, particularly yeah. with corn and bean prices, especially corn. Yeah. And so leasing is a great option uh, to manage that cash flow because your payments are are typically less. Yep, I, I, I'm I'm right there with you. I think even with um, even if prices stay relatively high compared to where they are now, I, I still think leasing is going to play uh, a part of that just because of where the price of some of the stuffs at right now. We right. start looking at new machines that are eight hundred thousand, you know, plus on a pretty regular basis. I start looking at some even combine. You know, we use eight class eight combines or almost $700,000 now. So you start looking at those type of stuff and you start looking at how those things are playing in there and trying to figure out the term to make the things work. I think that creative um, financing 
thing is going to start coming back in like we saw in uh especially like i would say 17 through 20 you know where you really mm-hmm. were trying to dial in those those payments you were selling you were selling payments and not necessarily uh selling um the, the actual machine the value of the price of the machine those kind of things so it was a uh, different market i think we're going to see the same thing again as we as we go on that and like you said leasing there is some um there's some varying tax advantages that come with that um I'm not an accountant, so I'm not going to pretend that I understand any of that. But it's a uh, there's there's a lot of different things you can do when you start looking at how your balance sheet's represented and those kind of things. Yeah, and, and we talk, we think about leasing, and, and you've sold it. I've talked about it. Is it's a way to get a lower payment. We sure. also see customers that do three year leases because they want the biggest lease payment they can get because they can write it off. And right. so going back to that, back to that example, you know, maybe someone bought a. a $500,000 tractor January had the cash for to check another kind of wishing I wouldn't have done that. Um, but yet, you know, I need the tax deduction. Right. And so maybe they do a three-year lease, just a really yeah. aggressive payment and, and manage their tax liability that way. <clears throat> so there's all kinds of flexibility that a lease provides. And we see a lot of our customers that have loans and leases because you may buy a tractor and think I'm going to keep that for seven or eight years. Um, so I'll do a loan, but maybe that combine that I want to churn every two or three years, I do a lease because it's really important to me that I have a warranty on it. Yeah. And, and, and so it, every operation is different. Uh, but I think today's producers looking at all those options as to what makes sense for them. Yep. And whatever they used to do, AgDirect's got them covered. Right on. That's right. Uh, I think, I think the one, the one big takeaway from what you just said there was that, you have plenty of options out there for your customers to go take advantage of. And I think that's the, that's the key when you start looking at this. Um, this is kind of something I was thinking about the other day with the news out of the Fed where they've kind of hinted that they're not going to raise rates anymore, but they're not going to lower rates anytime mm-hmm. soon. Um, what's your thoughts on like variable rate financing and, and those kind of things with, in this in an interest rate area where Maybe it's not going to go up, but it's not going to go down either. It's just kind of going to be set in there. I guess. What are your What are your thoughts on that? You mean if someone's looking to buy something, should they take the yeah. variable rate today? Yeah. Oh, it'd be hard for me to look someone in the eye and say you should need to take the variable rate. Um, yeah. You know, if it was a smaller purchase, Casey, maybe twenty five thousand or less. Yeah. You know, it it really doesn't look like rates are going up. But if you want to take advantage of when it goes down, maybe something like that, twenty five thousand. That way it doesn't really hurt you if it right. doesn't go down. But, you know, if you uh, <clears throat> buy something that's half a million and get a variable rate, and all of a sudden we have some geopolitical event that none of us can anticipate or something that we can't anticipate and, and the Fed raises rates, um, then your rate goes up, your payment goes up on half a million dollars, and, and then you're looking at, like, why did I ever do that? Right. <clears throat> Yeah, that makes so sense. I, I think fixed rate is the way to go right now and just kind of wait and see. You know, our crystal ball, I don't know that it's any better than anybody else's, but if you look at what a lot of the economists say, what a lot of those charts are saying, it looks like sometime in the summer to fourth quarter of 24, we could see some relief from the Fed. Typically, they sit on the sideline during a presidential election year, so right. don't expect a whole lot. Yeah. Um, unless the inflation numbers come in really, really good, but... Um, I think it's going to take some time to work through this, but I was encouraged that the Fed has skipped a couple times now when they've had a chance to raise rates. They meet again here mid-December-ish, yeah. and so hopefully they'll just stay on the sidelines and see how this plays out. Yep. 
I hope so because we need a little bit of relief. This, I mean, just just not necessarily not even dropping rates, but just not raising them. I think is going to make a, a, a world of difference in attitude and, and, and the way things, the way people look at things. I think. Yes, you know, most everyone's getting a little bit more comfortable to rates high high sixes, low to mid sevens. That's kind of our new normal. Yeah. So if we could get some relief a year from now or before, I think that would feel pretty good if we could get rates back in the sixes. So I don't see it happening anytime soon, but hopefully a year from now when we're talking, we can look back and say, yeah, yeah, we got that going for us now. Yeah. 5% interest looks pretty good right now. (laughs) (laughs) It looked really good. Yeah, it would. It does. Well, Greg, good stuff. I'm glad you can count on the podcast. Any final thoughts you want to throw out there before we close things down? You know, I just really appreciate all the listeners, uh, their support for Ag Direct. Ag Direct is celebrating their 25th year anniversary in this year, 2023. So we got things going in 98 and uh, we're 60,000 customers strong. We just really appreciate uh, all the support from our farmer customers and ranchers, as well as our dealers. We work with 4,500 locations across the country and we couldn't do this without our dealers, without our customers. So anybody that's listening that's ever used Ag Direct or is a current customer, just want to say thank you and, and happy holidays to to all of you uh, listening today. Thank you very much. Yep. Now, Greg, I appreciate it. It's hard to believe it's already that time of the year. It's, we're talking about the holidays. It's kind of flown by. Yeah, I don't even know what to ask Santa for. Uh, <laughs> yeah, me, maybe me maybe another Husker win so they can become bowl eligible. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a big ask, I think. That's Greg. a big ask. <laughs> you might use up all your all your gifts for a while for that one. So. Maybe all so. right, man. Good Greg, to see you, yeah, good to get seeing you too, Greg. Take care of yourself, and we will uh, catch you again next month. Sounds great. Thanks. Hello, and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. I've got Tanner Emke here from CoBank, and he is nice enough to come on and talk about what's happening in the world of agronomics, I guess is the best way to put it, right? So, all Agricultural economics. All the, stuff, yeah. all the stuff that's driving the markets, right? Everything is – and there's nothing right now really going on that's really driving any markets right now, so we're – I don't know what we're going to talk about, Tanner. It's going to be a tough one. It's be like, like pulling teeth here to get something to talk about. There's nothing going on in the world. It's just <laughs> we just sit here and just twiddle gum. our thumbs and wonder why we get paid. Gum drops and candy canes all day long, right? <laughs> now, there's all kinds of stuff to talk about, Tanner. We've got, let's see, we've got the record heat and, and drought situation that's developing in uh, Brazil. We've got, uh, we've got the Fed news that came out, what they're going on there. We've got um, Ukraine stuff. We've got Israel stuff. We've got geopolitical stuff. We've got oil prices that have reversed dramatically over the last month, and we're looking at some uh, high-priced oil to now just back basically down in, into the mid to upper seventies. So, all kinds of stuff there to talk about. We got cattle markets all over the place. So, let's start with um, let's start with Brazil, right? So we got. We got Brazil right now, and you know if you've listened to this podcast, you hear, you've heard Sean Hackett talk about this quite a bit and what's going on there. But as you look at the situation there in Brazil, it's getting it's gone from worse to really bad now. So yes. I mean, as you as you look at that, and with your niche being uh, the grains markets, this has got to start looking at world supply. Had the Was report come out yesterday? What that did, and you know how that looked. There's got to be some some pressure developing on. Um, the overall world supply where if the United States can, can produce crop next year, we should be set pretty well. Yeah. So we're coming in 
remember off of uh, record Brazilian crop last year. Yeah. Uh, just uh, enormous crop for corn and soybeans, and uh, that that momentum has been car- has been carried over into the new crop year. And now that's starting to change because of all the things you just mentioned there. The northern two thirds of Brazil is now record hot and dry, record uh, uh, drought right now that is currently expected to continue with the current forecasts. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum in southern Brazil, they're having floods. So uh, they're going to have to replant in that part of the world. And so uh, what was once a once a phenomenal uh, crop environment down there in Brazil is now quickly turning into a condition where uh, we're scratching our heads wondering, are they going to be able to produce a crop? Now, they're going to they, – they are expanding acreage. We got we got to keep that in mind. Uh, Brazilian soybean acreage is going to be up about 5% this year, 4 to 5%. So that has to be balanced with the poor weather that they're seeing right now. Um, so the, it, remember also that they're still in the planting season. We're not done uh, planting yet. So it's still very early, and a lot of things can change uh, between now and harvest. Uh, it's just that right now it's a very poor start. And so uh, for those little se- uh, seedlings that have come up out of the ground, it's already being uh uh, that crop is already struggling under record heat and drought. So a poor start to the season. Now, if we were seeing this kind of weather persist through uh, or persist through uh, January, uh, December, January, now we're talking about some serious yield loss. Uh, we really need to see how this, uh, how the weather transpires uh, in the next, call it sixty days. It's going to be very important for what's going on in Brazil. Uh, so, and again, it's on expanded acreage, so it's going to have to take more yield loss for that to transpire into a uh, shrinkage in total supply. Um, but that, and I'd say that's uh, absolutely the case for soybeans. Corn is probably going to see a, a decrease in acreage this year in Brazil. It's the same trend that we're going to see here in the United States. We're anticipating we're going to see an increase in soybean acreage uh, for the next crop. Uh, that we plant this spring, and a decrease in corn. Now, how that breaks out, you know, we're still gonna we're still trying to figure that out. Uh, but right now, that, that's the trend in place, and that is no different down in Brazil. They're increasing their soybean acreage and decreasing corn acreage. They're going to be pulling more acres out of full season corn and switching that to soybeans. And which and with the current uh, weather issues right now, the, the weather probably have have to uh, replant. What that means then is there's going to be fewer acres uh, of safrina corn crop to be planted behind uh, the soybean acres uh, because the growing season has been shortened. That safrina corn crop is uh, squeezed right in there behind, right behind uh, soybean harvest. As soon as they pull out the combines, they go right back in there and they plant safrina corn. Well, if they're going to have to replant, that's going to reshorten the growing season, and that means fewer safrina acres. And so what that means, and that's really going to put the onus on corn uh, to do some work on price uh, in the next few, the next, uh, well, next few months. Uh, we have to really um, watch what's going on there as we head into our growing season or planning to plant season. Right now, farmers are already running their calculations and what their input needs are going to be here in the U.S. for when they start planting uh, next spring. 
So a lot can happen there uh, with that dynamic. But right now, uh, really the eye is on what's going on with soybean planting, and it's not good. Uh, we'll see what happens right now. That's the major driver for why uh, we've seen a stronger floor under soybeans versus corn. Uh, we've got plenty of corn, plenty of corn bushels in this country uh, with our expanded acreage. We did have some uh, yield increase in USDA's report yesterday. As uh, so they bumped up uh, the U.S. corn yield and soybean yield both, and so that loosened our balance sheets. But if you, if uh, Brazil has a bad crop, things can get really tight really quick. And so we've still got to keep an eye on that weather for the next sixty days. It's not done yet. Uh, that's really the story here for the next couple of months. Yeah. Okay. So when you're when you're looking at all the stuff that's going on in the, in the corn market right now. As you look at the price and things now, what are some of the driving factors you see behind what we see now? Is it just are we really looking at trying to find uh, some some niche from the USDA as far as as supply goes in the US, or because it just seems like it's very flat? There's not a lot of activity going on. Well, for its farmers are are still harvesting corn. Sure. Uh, they're not going to be uh, in really keen on doing any marketing until they're really done with uh, uh, done with harvest. Um, that, uh, harvest is wrapping up uh, in a lot of, lots of part of the, a lot of part of the, or a lot of the Midwest. And so, um, farmers are looking at what's going on right now with corn. Uh, right now we're talking corn, um, you know, uh, well off the highs, these corns in the four sixties, four seventies area. And, uh, after seeing, you know, corn at six fifty earlier this year, who wants to sell it? 460 right or no, 470 nobody, nobody wants should, to sell yeah okay so right now the farmer is quite tight-fisted on corn if they need cash they're selling beans because the bean price is quite a bit more attractive mostly because of all the weather issues in brazil also because we had a smaller crop this year on soybeans uh compared to what we saw last year and we're also having growing demand uh, because of the renewable diesel expansion of crush facilities, expansion of renewable diesel demand, uh, record exports on soybean meal. So those three things combined really are holding up uh, soybean values. And so if the farmer is going to sell, they're going to be selling soybeans. Uh, and that's kind of what we're hearing from our customers. Uh, but they're still fairly tight-fisted. The farmer still has cash left over from last year's record income. The farmer is sitting on a pile of cash. Yeah. Uh, after last year, okay, so they they are not in a hurry to sell. They can wait this thing out, and they'll sell it at whatever price they feel like without being pressured into it. So uh, that is uh, one dynamic that's playing out right now. The markets are fairly, um, you know, uh, uh, they're not very volatile right now uh, for corn, especially because the farmers not selling. Uh, we'll see, you know, once we get into the new year, once we get into January, February, March, a lot of farmers are probably going to be forced into selling because they're going to need cash, uh, to, uh, pay down in, or to buy inputs, to pay down, uh, uh, operating loan that's at eight and a half, nine percent interest rate. So the big pile of cash they have right now is going to get whittled down by these higher, uh, interest rates, higher expenses on seed fertilizer, chemical. Uh, higher cash rents, all these factors are going to be drawing down on that cash reserve. 
And for some farmers, they're going to be forced into selling to get cash. So we after, after the new year, I would imagine that we're going to start to see a lot more bushels come onto the market. Yeah. All right. So you brought up my next point I was going to talk a little bit about was on-farm income and what that looks like. So, you know, obviously in 23, you just said it, you know, it, it's very strong. Look like 23 is going to have a great end of the year as far as that goes. But, uh, you know, as you take a look at what the Fed's done there, you know, they pumped the brakes on um, interest rates, for at least for this time anyway. Um, more than likely probably won't have another hike of interest rates unless something crazy happens the first year. But more than likely, they're probably done with that. But that doesn't mean they're lowering rates anytime soon uh, at all. So looking at that situation and looking at 24, what what are your thoughts about, you know, I guess as all you co-bank knowledge exchange professionals get together and talk about this stuff, what's your projection for 24 look like as you take a look at the, the headwinds that we're kind of plowing into out of 23? Projections on interests? Interest or rates? Just in general, just, just the farm economy in general as you take a look well, at Well, I mean, it's going to have to yeah. come down. Uh, total net farm income, if that's the measure, uh, that's going to come down uh, because uh, commodity prices have come down off the peak, expenses have come up. And so that, that that's going to create that wedge that's going to uh, pull down net farm income of falling commodity prices, rising in expenses. And uh, you know, as for the, on, on the interest rate uh, side of things that you mentioned there, yeah, uh, we're just going to have to take the Fed with their word at it, higher for longer. The question is, how much longer? And are they going to hold interest rates all through 2024 at the at the current level? I, I think I think the market is anticipating that there's going to be some sort of cut, mm-hmm. uh, at least by the middle of next year. If we, especially if we see the economy slow down sufficiently. Uh, now we've seen some strong data here on jobs creation, on wages, on uh, total GDP growth. Uh, that can change pretty quickly, especially in a high interest rate environment. Uh, but I would say at this point, again, the Fed is going to be holding rates uh, where they're at. Uh, it does not appear as though there will be another another hike. But my bias here is that the Fed would rather hedge to the ups- hedge on having another rate increase before they do a rate decrease. Uh, because of what they learned in the 1970s under Chairman Arthur Burns when they moved too quickly on cutting rates and then inflation took off again. Yeah. So I think that the Federal Reserve is going to be very conservative on that. And uh, we still don't see inflation down uh, to their preferred level. Uh, they've, they've, their target is 2%, which means they got a ways to go yet. So they're going to try probably let let this trend continue and hopefully uh interest rates come down to two or excuse me inflation comes down to two percent without them having to raise rates again uh but if it pops uh that's going to put them back in that position of saying well we're, our guess are we guess our work uh, you know our work isn't done yet mm-hmm. so um but i i would definitely definitely uh uh say that we're not going to be dropping rates uh soon i think that's further off maybe in 2024 maybe okay all right so some of the things we see happen right now with the economy is not i mean obviously interest rates are playing a big part of that but we're seeing this uh supply and demand kind of catch up with each other coming out of this covid mess that we had uh we're starting to see the supply and demand curves kind of get corrected back to each other 
and we're we're seeing these these prices come together um, as things kind of come down in price. Um, you've talked. I think the last time we talked about it, you talked a little bit about hey, no prices are going to kind of stay the same. Like this is this is where we're at, just because of, it's hard for prices to once they go up, it's hard for them to come back down to where they were. But I guess as you're looking at where the, just the price indexes of different stuff out there and and those kind of things, what are you seeing on that front, and how do you think that's playing into the overall economy? Well, the CPI is uh, still coming way down. Uh, right now, it's at uh, uh, right around uh, three, a little over three percent. Uh, that's all goods and services. Uh, they want to get it down to two percent. And uh, if falling commodity prices are any uh, indication of what's going to be happening with CPI, then we can anticipate the CPI to continue to drop because we've seen commodity prices come down. And the, those are two; those are fairly strongly correlated. If you watch uh, the uh, like a CRB index uh, or any other commodity index, when that falls, and then you know several months later, then you're start then you're going to see CPI fall right behind it. Okay, because uh, as raw material prices come down, then that filters through the economy, and then prices to the consumers are going to drop, uh, or vice versa. As CPI goes up. And that's going to filter through the economy and prices are going to go up on consumers. And right now, with commodity prices having come down, you mentioned uh, crude oil having come down. We're back in the 70s again with crude oil. Uh, we've got all these other major commodities are under pressure. Uh, I, would, I, I am biased uh, that we're going to see CPI come down again. And that's why I think the Federal Reserve is probably hoping that they don't have to do anything else that uh, falling commodity prices are going to do the work for them uh, so that they don't have to do any more work on uh, interest rate. So playing that forward with where we're seeing uh, the commodity index, it would appear as though uh, that the Fed uh, would probably be done raising interest rates. Now, that being said, you've got a lot of speculators out there that are watching what the Federal Reserve does and reading into the tea leaves and saying, okay, if the Federal Reserve is done raising interest rates, when do they start cut, uh, cutting interest rates? Well, if, they, if, if they're done raising, that means they're going to start cutting at some point. Well, we need to get ahead of the eight ball and start putting money into commodities as a hedge against future inflation. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because the Fed said, we're probably done, investors say, well, that means what comes next is rate cuts. That means more inflation. So we're going to go buy commodities, and that drives inflation. Gotcha. Okay. Self-fulfilling prophecy there. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be my concern. And then the Fed is back again, once again, trying to chase its tail and say, okay, wait a minute, we're not done. We've got we to gotta raise rates again. Yeah. Vicious circle we live in there, isn't it? And <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> right on. All right, let's talk a little geopolitical stuff here as we as we wrap things up. Uh, and there's so much geopolitical stuff going on right now; it's hard to even keep track of where to start. You have a coup a week in Africa. You've got the stuff going on. You know, obviously Ukraine Russia thing happening, and that's feels like that maybe losing some steam a little bit um, as far as what that maybe that may be coming to a <laughs> to an end sooner than later. Um, if you listen to the news. You got the Israel um, Hamas thing that's going on, and there's, there's so many things going on right there that 
geopolitically, it's all those things that kind of come together, though. But outside of the Ukraine-Russia part of it, and we start looking at you know the effects on oil and, and wheat and those kind of things, it doesn't feel like the the geopolitical pressure that was here maybe 60, 90 days ago is the same today. I guess what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's uh, so much going on. Um, and, uh, you know, it's easy to start thinking the world is coming apart. Um, as for each of those things, you know, you talk about Russia and Ukraine. Uh, grain is flowing out of the Black Sea. Most of that is Russian grain, and that's depressing world prices. Ukraine is doing what it's can, what it can to move uh, grain out, and that's you know their crop is about half of what it was before. But they're starting they're moving grain under the protection of Ukrainian uh, naval vessels. Uh, then you got all the stuff going on in the Middle East that could expand beyond Israel and Gaza. Then the question everyone always has is about Taiwan and China. Is Taiwan going to say, "Hey, look, the United States is distracted with Ukraine and Israel"? Now's our time. Now's the time for us to go make a move on Taiwan when the United States has their hands full. They haven't done it yet. Uh, if 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 China was looking for an opportunity, they, they would have done that by now. Right. And in fact, the opposite has happened. I just saw in the news uh, a news flash on my come across my phone here that apparently Xi Jinping and Biden are going to meet in San Francisco. Saw that. Yeah. Okay. Didn't see that coming. Right. No, <laughs> I'm right. just going to be honest with yeah. you. I mean, I'm not a yeah. political scientist. I didn't see something like that coming. So what are they going to talk about? Uh, I guess they're going to say, hey, Taiwan's off the table. Let's not even go there. Um, you know, what, I think there, there's been enough saber rattling on that issue. And so what else are they going to talk about? Uh, they're going to talk about Israel. They're going to talk about Russia and Ukraine. Uh, but what else? Are they going to yeah. talk about uh, tariffs? Because remember, Biden uh, did not roll back any of the Trump tariffs. He kept them in place. Are they going to do that? Uh, are they going to try to uh, come to an understanding about uh, other trade relationships uh, or uh, you know supply chains? And what are they going to what's going you know what's going on in south the South China Sea with uh, China's uh, expansion there that they're trying to take over a lot of those uh, those territorial waters uh because we got a military agreement with the philippines uh we just you know biden was just in vietnam here a little bit ago is this going to be about southeast asia and who gets what and who you know keep your hands off of these islands they're our partners what i mean what does this all look like i i don't even know i'm curious uh, but it's encouraging i would say that they're speaking uh rather than doing saber rattle and there's been a lot of that, and uh, so this would be a uh, an F, or this would be a move that I think brings more calm to the marketplace. Uh, that the United States and China are going to work together on something. That means there's going to be cooperation on something. Who knows what that looks like? But I would say that uh, from the market standpoint, this decreases the temperature a little bit. Of geo of geopolitics, and that's big because the business environment becomes improved in that situation, where people can say, "Oh, okay, we can trust our supply chains in China now. Oh, we can we can trust investment more from from China in the United States or China, U.S. investment into China. 
you know, the, the business environment is going to improve in theory. Now, I don't know what they're going to talk about, but the fact that they're talking is going to take the temperature down. And that ultimately is going to be good for business growth. Uh, now, I'm, I'm just talking high level here. I don't have specifics on that, but I would imagine that this would be fruitful in terms of some sort of uh, economic growth for both China and the United States. Yeah, yeah there's been some weird, oh, weird is probably not the right word, but but different language has been coming out of China. We start looking at what they've been saying about the United States as far as being like, hey, we we, we want to be a better partner with the United States. I've read articles about that. I've seen those different things pop up. So it's it is a it's, it's kind of a weird time, you know. Went from being this like this is happening tomorrow, or we're going to invade Taiwan. It's going to cause World War Three to this. Well, maybe it's not such a. Maybe we got to pump our brakes line a little bit. So I don't know. It's it's a it's very interesting to see that they're meeting in San Francisco of all the places in the world to meet. Like they're meeting in San Francisco. It's, it's going to be. Well, it's heavily be. populated with uh, Chinese. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that, that might be one of <laughs> that could be. Yeah. There's a lot of well, not just Chinese. Uh, a lot of uh, Asians across the yeah. western coast, well, yeah. the west coast. Um, I would also, you know, they're they're what precipitated this. It could be that the the our GDP growth now exceeds mm. China's. Yeah. Who saw that coming in the last quarter? Yeah. Uh, or in the last GDP report. Um, so that might be it. Uh, could be that uh, China just doesn't, uh, you know, they've got some insecurity on their uh, economy. Mm-hmm. And so at any rate, maybe they're wanting to come to the United States to say, hey, look, let's see what we can do because I don't want you to be an enemy of China if my if, if our economy really starts sucking wind mm-hmm. and you see us as a weak enemy that you want to make a move on. Uh, militarily wise, or like to, if you really, really want to go send troops over to Taiwan or something, and we're not, we don't have the economic, uh, or we don't have, you know, the, the support economically to take on a war or something. Maybe China was is initiating this. I, I don't know that for certain. Yeah, but maybe that's why they're meeting in the United States. This is China literally coming to the United States and saying, "We're concerned about our country." We don't want to concern, uh, be concerned about a military conflict with the United States. So let's take that issue off the table. Yeah. That and they, their demographics are really bad and they miscounted yes. 100 million people. So, you know, that has, might have something to do with it too. So Exactly. Well, that's part of their account. Yeah, their yeah. population is shrinking and their yeah. population is rapidly aging. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got a lot of toxic debt. Their uh, real estate market uh, is... Uh, is a problem. Uh, there, I just read here recently. They're back to deflation again. Uh, apparently, that didn't go away. Uh, yeah. It's back. So there's a lot of things for China to be concerned about. Maybe that's why they're coming to the United States. Literally, right. yeah, coming to San Francisco. Realize that they need more help than they they thought. So, yeah, yeah. Well, crazy times for sure, Taryn. That's why you're on here to keep us straight and updated <laughs> on what's going on, man. So <laughs> appreciate you being on. I usually add more fog into the conversation. (laughs) It all comes out in the wash, so we're good. (laughs) So you got got a couple things coming up. If folks want to read what you're putting out there, Tanner, what's the best place for them to go find that information? Uh, Cobank.com. Click on the Knowledge Exchange tab. I'm going to have a report out next week on uh, next Wednesday about the corn and soybean outlook. Oh, right on. Okay. Well, that'll be good. So, Well, Tanner, I appreciate you being on the podcast. Uh, We will 
talk to you again next month. And if I don't talk to you before now and then, have a good Thanksgiving. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Casey. All right, man. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast. Check out the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel, which is you can find over there at the Moving Iron at Moving Iron L, Moving Iron Podcast on YouTube. Wow, I can't talk today. Check that out over there. And if you are wanting to see just everything Moving Iron related, go to MovingIronLLC.com. Got some really big announcements coming out here over the next couple of months, and should have a new website up here uh, hopefully by January. So get that all squared away as well. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Tanner Emke. Let's come with Smart Folks. When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. In the 21st century, hard work.